This morning's scripture reading is found in the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 11, starting in verse 1 through 26, and uh, Acts 5, verses uh, 12 through 13. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth and beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The scripture told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa, for Simon, who is called Peter, he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they had heard this, they had further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who had scattered by the prosecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveling far as Phoenicia, Syria, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyrus and Syria, went to Antioch and began to speak in Greek also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, 
and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Teresa to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Acts 5, verses um, 12 through 13. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. This is the word of the God. Of the God. So our message in a nutshell this morning is include like Jesus and exclude only because of Jesus. Include like Jesus, exclude only because of Jesus. And we'll talk about what this means this morning. What uh, Faith read for us is the turning point, the turning point in the early church, the turning point of our entire story and the story of the early church, but is also the most difficult turn that the church would have to make, the most difficult turn they'd have to make. In fact, the first and most immediate response we see in our passage in Acts 11 is criticism towards change. Criticism towards change. Why is that? So I thought a lot about, I thought a lot about group identity this week. Uh, the first group to which I belonged is my family of origin. Uh, I am an Olschläger. My uh, name is Olschläger. Uh, you may have struggled to pronounce it and say it. That's fine. You can call me whatever you want. Oschlager, Oschlager. Uh, that means, as an Oschlager, uh, we spend a penny to save a dime. Uh, we try to use that to be generous towards others. Uh, academic achievement is crucial. Uh, reputation of institutions is important. Competition is encouraged as an Oschlager. Productivity and busyness is prized. Uh, extracurriculars, vacation, free time, not so much to relax, even enjoy oneself, but to achieve and produce. And I've seen these, these threads sort of uh, weaving through my family of origin for better and, and certainly for worse. So what if someone was to come in and profoundly alter this identity. What if I married someone who profoundly alters this identity? And I did. <laughs> what if my kids don't go to a prestigious university or don't fill up all their time with extracurriculars? What if our vacations really are spent sitting on a beach or just chillaxing at our campsite? What if someone interrupts this vision of the good life? Is it, is it no longer good? Is it worth including others unlike me into my life if it means letting go of all I've considered good up to this point? Well, to really get how consequential our passage is this morning, we have to grasp how deeply the laws and the traditions of an Israelite defined for them the good life. And indeed, these laws and traditions defined them, distinguished them. Then we have to feel what it must have been like for a Jewish man like Peter to let it go, to let go of what his father taught him and his father taught him and his father taught him and down through the generations and so on. 
to let go that which defined him and distinguished all of his people before him. In fact, distinguished is is really the right word here because God tells his people, Israel, to be separate, to be different, to be distinguished, be different from every group around them, every people group around them. Just as God is separate from humanity, thus the term holy, separate, so God's people are also to be separate from those around them. So he gives people ceremonial laws about things like food, about things like clothing, to remind his people that they are to be separate from the people around them. In order to join with God in any kind of relationship, they need to follow the laws of purity to separate from every other people group around them and separate to him, be separate to him. God is other, and so his people need to be other. Does that make sense? So we have all these ceremonial laws about food and such. They acted like visual aids, reminding God's people, oh yeah, we're called to be different, we're called to be distinguished, we're called to be separate. And now God is saying to people, to Peter in our passage we read this morning, let it go. Let that go. Let go of everything that made you and your family different. Imagine if we never again sang an old hymn in this church. Imagine that. Maybe you noticed, by the way, we didn't sing one this morning to open the service. That was purposeful. It's a bit of a social experiment. I wanted some of you to feel bothered, to feel the unsettledness of change. Incidentally, I like hymns. We're going to sing two later. Okay, so be relieved. But I wanted you to feel that, even if just for for 10 minutes. What if we were to welcome people unlike us into this church? Would we expect them to become like us? To assimilate? Have we done this historically? in our past as a church. See, it's all good and well to be included, but Jesus is not saying to Peter through this vision, okay, Peter, include these people and make them like you. Make them clean like you're clean. Rather, he's saying, because of trusting in me, they are already clean and will remain culturally different from you. So include their difference. Incorporate into how you worship, how you relate to one another, how you lead this church. So a party of Jesus-following Jews criticized Peter for mingling at the dinner table with people who were not separate, like he was separate. And Peter himself says, hey, hey, look, I hear you. I tried to tell God, no, no way I'm eating what they eat. I'm not going to do it. If they want to belong, they, not me, has to change. Well, thankfully, our story has a happy ending. Because of Jesus, change gets incorporated and inclusion gets celebrated. I see three things in our passage that are often needed for longtime followers of Jesus, like many of us, need to hear to be likewise, be inclusive. Three things in our passage needed for longtime followers of Jesus like us to likewise be inclusive. Inclusion needs Jesus, needs repetition, and needs pioneers. 
Needs Jesus, needs repetition, needs pioneers. We're going to talk about those three things this morning. Number one, inclusion needs Jesus. It needs the example of Jesus, number one. The Lord Jesus tells Peter to make no distinction between Jew and Gentile, between Jews and non-Jews, between people like him and people unlike him. You see, friends, Jesus did not have a type. He didn't have a type. He included a prostitute, a prostitute who knew, knew she needed help. He included children that others wanted to dismiss. He included women, countercultural at the time, women who were central to supporting him in ministry, present at his death, and first to his resurrection. He included a tax collector who betrayed his Jewish people in service to the Roman government, and he put him in the same tent with a zealot who hated the Roman government and plotted with others to overthrow it, including them together. He included every close friend who previously abandoned him when he needed them the most. He included Judas Iscariot, let him hang around for three years and put him in charge of all the money. As verse 9 talks about, Jesus saw no one as common. No one is common. Every kind of person was welcome in his presence. Peter was an eyewitness to this. The example after example of Jesus' inclusivity, but his example was not enough for Peter. Peter needed an intervention. And don't we also? Consider all the little things that you enjoy and make you comfortable about gathering together, particularly on Sundays. And now consider these things being challenged, being confronted by different traditions, different rituals, different kinds of conversations coming your way. It's like someone has taken the wheel from you and jostling you all over the road. Don't you feel that resistance rising up in you? And you're like, no. In fact, Ryan, I want you to stop talking about it. Peter felt that resistance also. He needed Jesus to intervene. A vision of a visit of victory. Jesus intervenes with all these three things. The vision is surprising because it evolved for Peter food that he's allowed to eat as a Jewish man and some that he's not allowed to eat. And he resists it. Because he resists it, he says, no, no, you know, never, Jesus. Peter also sends him a visit. A visit for some people who are different than him. And he says to Peter, include them, go with them, and then he shares with these people the good news about Jesus. He shares about his life, his death, his resurrection, and that all you needed to do to know God forever is trust Jesus to receive forgiveness of sins through his name. And that's what they do. A man named Cornelius, his relatives, all his friends trust in Jesus. And he sees this victory Right? So he gets a vision, he gets visitors, he gets victory. It's being hammered over in Peter's head. Wonderful. One of the many ways um, to understand sin is to let anything other than Jesus define who I am. Anything other than Jesus define who I am. Because we tend to fight Fight anyone who threatens that which already defines us. Man, we need Jesus, right? We, we, we fight off things that would threaten, well, something else is who I am. 
My culture is who I am. My background is who I am. My family of origin is who I am. We fight that. We need Jesus here, don't we? Can we agree on that? We need an intervention and the help of the Lord Jesus so we can include people who are different and welcome difference into our lives. We also, inclusion also needs repetition. Inclusion needs Jesus. It also needs repetition. After Peter shares about this vision, look about look at this little detail in verse 10. He says, this happened three times. Three times he gets a vision. Three times he hears Jesus say, make no distinction. Do not call common what I've made clean. Talk about being bludgeoned over the head time and again with the same message. Peter, a good man, loves Jesus, a leader in the church. Even he is resistant to change, right? But that's how deeply prejudice runs through all of our hearts. How resistant all of us are to change. And if you don't think so, I would suggest from our passage that God thinks otherwise. If you don't think this applies to you, notice how many times this story gets repeated to us. The first time this story is mentioned is described by our author, Luke, in chapter 10. Then Peter explains it to Cornelius, his relatives and his friends, also in chapter 10, which we didn't get to read. We read the summary in chapter 11. That's three times. Three times for Peter, three times for us, the readers. God's pretty wise, isn't he? He knows that our hearts cling towards sameness, towards people like me. Our hearts want that. You know that churches grow more numbers through a real-life measurement principle called the um, homogeneous unit principle, the HUP, it's called. This is real. Homogeneous unit principle. The more homogeneous, the more same a church is, the more it grows. The more it's the same in class, economic class, and nationality, and culture, and race, the more quickly a person of that same type sticks with the church. In fact, there's a prominent denom Christian denomination that utilizes the HUP principle and so only plants white churches, black churches, Chinese churches, Korean churches, Hispanic churches, Haitian churches, and so on. That's what it does. Well, there are two problems with uh, doing church according to the homogeneous unit principle. One's practical, the other's biblical. Firstly, it's practically unsustainable. In, in our divided society, we, we so run the risk of filtering our sameness that each church is going to end up with like 10 people in the end. Right? If we're all going to you know, play the dating game and get matched up to the right person in churches. Christianity Today put out a super helpful article this summer and investigated reasons why people are not coming back to their home churches after quarantine. First is the convenience factor. We've talked about that, right? Sitting on your sofa, fire up YouTube, brew your pot of coffee, throw on some sweatpants, and deodorant's optional, right? That's wonderful. Why come back to church? But the other reason, which is interesting, people aren't coming back to church, is something called tribalism. People would rather avoid friction at church and instead flee to their cultural tribes. This, friends, is how the devil wins. This is how the devil wins. Not with critical race theory on the one hand or vaccine mandates on the other, but when Christians give up on other Christians who disagree with them on lesser matters. And we say, you know, I'd rather not deal with it. I'd rather not deal with them. 
The devil wins when we throw in the towel rather than having conversations with so much grace and with patience because Jesus and his good news remains the main thing. Not these other things. So I'm so grateful that members of this church at PCC have refused to retreat for the most part to their respective corners. So it's not just, so it's a practical thing. Churches would just shrink, but it's also homogeneous unit principle is antithetical to the gospel of inclusivity. Galatians 3, 27 and 28 later in the New Testament says, for as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female for all, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Right? So these verses refer to worship in the temple. Under the old covenant, God made himself most present in his building, the temple. Specifically, in the building, there was this place in kind of the back in the middle called the Holy of Holies. And that's where God's presence was most made known, but there was a pecking order. Jewish men were positioned closest to God, and then Jewish women. And then Gentile men, non-Jews. And then finally, on the very outside, slaves. What it's saying here in Galatians is no more. No more of this. Because of Jesus, all people who trust in him become themselves little temples. God inside of each person, equally and fully, no pecking order. That's the symbolism of Peter's vision. Every animal is clean. Those eaten by Jews and those eaten by Gentiles. And the Lord is saying, Peter, I'm not really talking about animals here. I'm talking about people. Now, you may think you hear a repeated theme over the first two months of my tenure here, and it's true. I've been encouraging us to go to and welcome in, but be willing to adjust to otherwise unlikely friends. Go to, welcome in, and be willing to adjust to otherwise unlikely friends so that the good news about Jesus remains the main thing and reaches more people. Because there are some There are more people in the city unlike you than like you. However you want to define like in this case. And I'm repeating this theme over and over, number one, because it's repeated here in the book of Acts and God's word. But also I think that our hearts, the reason God puts it so much in the book of Acts and we see this theme is because our hearts drift towards, again, sameness. The circumcision party And our passage throws up their hands finally and glorifies God in verse 18. They hear Peter's story. They say, praise God for the inclusion of Gentiles. But guess what happens? It's not surprising. Just a few chapters later, Acts 15, which we're actually going to look at next week, if you want to read ahead. A few chapters later in Acts 15, the same old criticism arises from among them, and they want non-Jews to become more Jewish in their worship, more Jewish in their relationships, more Jewish in their community and how they do church, which is why this so often needs repeating because they, like we, often just drift towards sameness. A brilliant woman uh, named Corey Little Edwards uh, wrote this book called The Elusive Dream, The Power of Race in Interracial Churches, the thesis of which is basically this. Multiracial churches work to the extent that their white members are comfortable. Mm -hmm. 
Let that sink in. I'll say it again. Multiracial churches work to the extent that the white members are cultural. Doesn't that speak to you about sameness? Even putting race aside for a moment, although it certainly has to do with that, just the idea of sameness. I hear that and I think about the American church. And then I contrast that with Jesus' ministry. Do you think his disciples on hearing Jesus' teaching were ever comfortable? Did they ever feel comfortable? Which is why the inclusion of difference needs repeating. Inclusion also needs pioneers, thirdly. Inclusion needs pioneers, and we see three in our passage. Peter, some unnamed men from Cyprus and Cyrene, and Barnabas. Peter, unnamed men from Cyprus and Cyrene, Barnabas. Peter and Barnabas pioneer through their servant leadership. Both men refuse to let their egos get in the way. In verse 17, Peter asks an important question. He says, if God gave the same gift to non-Jews as he gave to us, we believe in the Lord Jesus, who was I to stand in the way who, who was I? Who are you, Peter? You are someone. That's not just a throwaway question because you are someone, Peter. Here's the guy who preached the first sermon. He led the known church up to this point, right? Jesus turns to Peter and said, hey, you're the rock. I've given you the keys. Later history proves that including non-Jews remained uncomfortable for Peter. As a leader, he could definitely have made an excuse in this moment. Church leaders do this all the time, right? They just resist. You know, logistically, it's just not going to work. I don't think it's time yet. You know, patience and patience and patience, like Dr. King used to talk about, hey, no more time for patience. Time to do it. So he dies to self. And from this point forward, interestingly, Peter diminishes from the book of Acts. If you notice, got a little bit more about Peter in chapter 12, and then we don't hear much about Peter ever again. He's willing to die to self Step aside so that more people can worship Jesus. When the Apostle Paul sent this man Barnabas to check out, verify, and encourage this new church in Antioch, he doesn't hold on to solo leadership. He gets someone involved more gifted than him, a man named Saul, whose Greek name is Paul. And it's easy to overlook, but this is no small deal. It's natural for leaders to feel threatened, to not want to step aside, to hold on to leadership. But by stepping aside, the gospel first gets to and penetrates the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And new followers of Jesus get to grow. So he's another pioneer. Through the servant leadership of Peter and him wanting to say, who am I to stand in the way? These unnamed men from Cyprus and Cyrene step forward because they know the good news now is for everyone not just Jewish people. So they're the first to step out and share the good news in this massive city. The largest city in the empire was Rome, a city of power. Second largest city, Alexandria, a city of learning. Third largest city, Antioch, a city of commerce. People cared about making money, and because of that, they were super tolerant of other religions and other ideas and other philosophies. And the gospel catches fire here because pioneers decide to step out and try the good news on people unlike them. So it's here that the, it's here where followers of Jesus are first called Christians, literally the Christ ones. That's what the society around them call them, the Christ ones, those who saw Jesus and tried to be like him. 
the Christ. So it's an entirely new race of people, not defined by their worship, the color of their skin, or their cultural background, but by the man they followed, Jesus, a new humanity. All because people were willing to step out and risk staying the same. Who is a pioneer for us? Who is a pioneer today? A pioneer reaches out to persons they are tempted to keep at arm's length. A pioneer welcomes difference as a needed contribution to the church. A pioneer resists the urge to get new persons to conform to their preferences. A pioneer is someone who says, you know what? Let's try things your way. A pioneer is someone who is quick to acknowledge hurt and confess wrongdoing. These are true pioneers that we see here in the book of Acts. One of my heroes, St. Augustine, bishop of North Africa, 4th and 5th century, he wrote a book towards the end of his life called Retractions. You may know his book, Confessions. Very le- much lesser in our city of God. There's wonderful books he wrote. One of his lesser known books was Retractions in which he retracted things he'd written earlier in his life because he changed his thinking. How many leaders in the church write a book admitting their mistakes? How many of us instead paper over, claim being misunderstood, pretend it didn't happen? Oh, for the humility in the church to acknowledge wrongdoing and confess it. Acknowledge hurt, confess wrong. So on that note, I have something to confess to you. I know in my heart of hearts, I have a type. I've had lots of unlikely friends over the years for, which, for whom I'm extremely grateful. But I know I have this longing inside of me that my closest friends possess certain characteristics. I'm just going to throw them out there. A person of depth, depth of soul, but also a good sense of humor. And if they like and play sports, that's a huge bonus. All right, so just being real, real straight, I like people with some depth, but can also laugh at themselves Sports is a bonus. Early on in our marriage, living in Chicago, one of Katie's best friends, Amy, um, she and her husband, Mike, volunteered as leaders in the youth group uh, we, I was pastoring. And Katie would, would often ask, hey, let's go out, like, let's kind of do a double date with them. And I would kind of resist it. Mike was a great guy, but his great passion was making uh, miniatures of soldiers, like these little miniature soldiers that paint them, to arrange them, like to battle one another. And, and he did this as an adult, which is wonderful, but I, I had a hard time with it. Just being, just being real with you. Well, my inner thinking was, we were friends, but I never really wanted to get too close. And guess what? He grew in to be a man of, of, of great depth of soul. I drifted towards sameness, and so I missed out on a relationship. You may have noticed I had Faith read also this morning from one of eight summaries of the early church in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, 13 said that even as God was working, healing, and moving through the church, and even though non-Christians looked on that and held Christians in high esteem and with favor, it says none of the rest dared join them. It's up here on the screen, Acts chapter 5, 13. None of the rest dare join. They, they favored Christians. They regarded them highly, but they didn't dare join them. It's kind of weird, right? Why? If they favored them, held them in high esteem, why wouldn't they say, I want to be a part of this? Well, it's because the apostles preached Jesus. They preached Jesus Christ crucified. 
a message that offends people's pride then as it does now. The cross of Jesus said you're not good enough for God and you're in need of rescuing. And for some of us, that rescue plan is good news. It's, a, it's the fragrance of life, but for some friends, it's the stench of death. They don't want to hear that they're in need of rescuing. They don't want to hear that they need a savior. And so they exclude themselves. That's why the message in a nutshell is include like Jesus, but exclude only because of Jesus. Not because someone curses more than I'm comfortable with. Not because they talk more than we like. Not because they embarrass me in front of others. Not because they think differently than me about culture or about government. Not because their kids don't behave well. Not because they have different views on baptism, the Lord's Supper, uh, music and drinking. Not because they look, sound, even smell different than me. Only because of Jesus. He is and will always be the main thing. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask for your help to keep you the main thing in our fellowship, in our relationships, and how we do church. We want to keep you the main thing. So help us, Jesus. We need you to be more inclusive. Help us embrace that difference. Help us not feel threatened by it, but recognize this happened in God's church all the way back in the first century. And the challenge was to remember that grace is so big that it includes everyone. That everyone who trusts you, Jesus, has the Holy Spirit. Everyone has some gift to contribute. Give us the courage to be like these, these pioneers who stepped out and said, you know what, I'll die to self. I'll take the risk. I'll bring the good news in word and deed to people not like me. Help us be such a church of such courage. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.